Good morning, New Song Church. How's everybody doing? Good. It's so good to see you this morning. I'm Pastor Josh. I have not been in the pulpit for three weeks, and I have missed you, but I'm glad to be back with you today. And man, we've got a lot of really great stuff going on here at New Song Church. Men, make sure you're here tonight for Tribe Night. It's going to be an awesome night. Women, make sure you go ahead and get your tickets for Withholding Nothing. That is going to be a very, very cool night. I'm telling you, you're not going to want to miss that. And then remember, next week we have no Sunday services, Saturday only services. We've had a little bit of a, a thing here with Noah, so we're going to get that worked out. But next, but next, uh, next Saturday only service is going to be really good. We're going to make the most of it and make it really good. And just so you guys know, uh, there are some things going on that you'll be hearing about as we move into the fall that are exciting news for us as a church and for the future of New Song Church. So if you're wondering like what's going on, you will know soon and, and it's really, really good. Okay. So just get ready for that. Get prepared for that. And, uh, and yeah. So uh, if you have your Bible, go to Judges chapter 13 and I want to welcome everybody who's watching online church. Let's welcome all those who are with us on Facebook live. So good to have you with us. Judges chapter 13, as you're turning there, uh, next week, we're beginning a brand new series, too, called Lost Art, and we're going to be talking about some of those things that maybe we should be doing that we're not doing, or maybe things that we are doing that we're not doing the way that God wants us to be doing them, all right? So we're going to talk about uh, the lost art of endurance. We're going to talk about the lost art of honor, how important honor is. We're going to talk about the lost art of integrity. And uh, the final week of that series, I'm going to be talking about the lost art of confrontation. I'm going to teach you how to have biblical confrontation with those people that you need to have some confrontation with. How many of you are looking forward to that? It's going to be good. So make sure that you're with us on that. And then also, I want to just encourage you, in the lobby today, we have some cards, some Lost Art, art cards. Grab some of those and invite people to church. You know, next week, we're actually launching a big advertising campaign for New Song Church. You're going to see billboards up in the city, postcards are going out, new invitations are going out, and we're doing all that because we want to help people, I'll say it like you mean it, we want to help people, and, and realize that people is not just the people in this room. There's more people outside of, these room, outside of this room, outside of the halls of this church that need to know the God that we know. We've got it too good to keep it to ourselves, right? So as we're doing that advertising campaign, we're spending a lot of money on that to get that out there. But I want you to know one of the great uh, gifts that God has given us as a church in reaching people is you. Turn the person beside you and say he's talking to you. Your, your sphere of influence and your invitation is one of the major keys to us bringing people to, to that idea of knowing God. In fact, I, I can't tell you. More often than not, when I talk to people in the lobby and I'm asking them, how did you hear about the church? It's always, well, this person told me about the church or they made a Facebook post about the church or this person shared this on Instagram. I want to encourage you, recognize that your social media platforms are that. It's a platform that you can use to reach people for Jesus and to communicate the, the gospel and to share that God is moving in your life and that God wants to, to help other people come to know God through your platform of influence. So as, you, as you're turning right now and as you're checking in on Facebook, on your devices right now, right? Everybody doing that right now? Yes, right? Telling people you love God and God's moving at New Song Church. You're doing that right now? Yes, everybody want to do that? Just know that it makes a difference. Amen? Okay, so we're in a series right now called Character Sketches that we're concluding today. We've been looking at the character 
of some of the characters of the Bible, both the good and the bad. And today I want to talk to you about a character that I was just fascinated with as a kid. Now, just so you know a little bit about me, in case you're, you're new to New Song Church, I grew up as like a church kid. My parents were in ministry. My dad was actually a worship leader at our church. And so I was in church all the time. I was at multiple services on the weekend. I was, like, you know how people say, I was in church every time the doors were open. I was in church even when the doors weren't open to other people, okay? I was at rehearsals. I was at Wednesday night services. I was at prayer meetings. I was at conferences. I was at church all the time. And so because of that, I heard a lot of Bible stories growing up. And I remember when I got a little bit older and I started like trying to really like own my, my walk with God and started reading the Bible stories for myself, as I started looking at these stories, I started discovering that there was some stuff in these stories that uh, they left out of children's church. And there was some stuff about some of the character of some of these characters that it was like, man, this is disturbing. These people were not who I thought they were. Like, for example, Noah. You guys remember Noah? Noah and the ark, that whole thing? Like, this is, this is kind of the image that we have of, of Noah and the ark. It's like the coloring page image where... The ark's about the size of a Volkswagen, and you know, you got Noah over there, and he's happy and kind of chubby. He's eating good, and, and you've got all the animals smiling and having a good time. The giraffe's head's popping out there. This is kind of the image that we, we give to kids, and that's good. That's the image. There's some stuff we don't need to be telling the kids about right now at this point in their life. They're not ready to handle that, and that's what our kids' classes are for. We break down the Word of God at a level that they can receive it at. That's called the sincere milk of the Word of God, and that's biblical, and that's why we want your kids in kids' class, because that's what we're doing in there, all right? Um, but, but no one told me about after, you know, the ark, when they land, and, and Noah has a vineyard, and he makes some wine, and he gets drunk and ends up naked in his tent like a, like a redneck. Like, no one tells you that story. <laughs> Could you imagine the coloring page for that one? <laughs> Just a little black bar on one area of it. Or like picking up your kids. What'd you guys learn about? Don't get naked in a tent. Like, okay, I guess that's good. But we don't hear about that. And what I discovered was like, there's some things about some of these characters. Like they had flaws. They weren't perfect people. And, and I, I think the character today, which is Samson, is kind of personifies that. Like I, when I was a kid, I, Samson was like the hero to me. Like I thought he was amazing. Like sure, he made a dumb mistake. He told that girl, you know, about the secret of his strength. But, but you know, I, I remember I had this little picture Bible. Any 80s kids have this Bible? You remember that Bible? I had that Bible. And it had these pictures in it of, of like the different scenes. Of, it was like a Bible story Bible, but it had pictures all through it so you could read those. And I, I remember, I can vividly remember sitting on the steps of my home and, uh, and looking at the pictures of Samson and seeing this picture of him like, you know, and he's ripping apart a lion and like and thinking about that and, and the picture of him carrying off the city gates, these huge heavy gates uphill for 40 miles in the snow, you know, that whole story. And, and he takes up a jawbone of a donkey and he, he slays a thousand Philistines and he pushes on those pillars and causes that enormous structure to fall down. And, you know, we live in a world today where, like, they make superhero movies, right? And the reason they make them is because a lot of us, we have something inside of us that desires something just greater than, than this. And so we're interested in that. And they make those movies and those movies make a ton of money. Spider-Man comes out next week and, and like, those, those movies do really well. And Samson, to me, was like 
the superhero of, of the Bible, the superhero of the Old Testament. But then I got a little bit older and I read the story of Samson and I discovered like he, he wasn't a hero at all. In fact, if you read his story, he's a guy who had enormous potential but fell well short of what God had called him to do. The story of Samson is the story of, of a guy who was a sex addict, a guy who was, who was prone to fits of anger and rage, a guy who was deceptive and who, who lied and who just kind of chased his cravings and did whatever he felt like doing in, in the moment. And yet what's interesting is, uh, if you go to the New Testament in the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 11, there's, there's this list of what some people call the hall of faith. Now, I don't really like that terminology for it, and, and here's why. Typically, when we think about a hall of faith, we're kind of, we're kind of putting it in terms of like a hall of fame. And a hall of fame tends to separate us. You know, the people in the sports halls of fame, we go, well, they, they did something that I couldn't do. But that wasn't God's intention with the hall of faith. The hall of faith is so you can look at these people and say, I can do that. And so the hall of faith is full of people like, like you know, Joseph and Abraham and Moses and Rahab. And it, it talks about these incredible acts of faith that they walked in. And then if you read on Hebrews 11, chapter 32, it listed in that great hall of faith is Samson. And if you keep reading, you get into verse chapter 20 or chapter 12. And understand this, when you're reading uh, the Bible, the, the original transcripts of the Bible were not written in chapter and verse form. Like that wasn't there. It was just written as one long letter. And the reason they put that in later is so we could find stuff in the Bible. But when it was originally written, this was all one thought. And so Hebrews chapter 12 starts with this. It says, therefore, and it's connecting the next thought to the previous thoughts here, right? Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, that's talking about all those great people of faith. And here's the idea. Those people are in the grandstands of heaven cheering us on today. There's people like, like Moses and Abraham and Samson and these people, they're looking down. I don't know how it works, but they can, somehow they can see what's going on here. And they're seeing and they're, and they're cheering us on. They're, they're excited about what we're doing and, and cheering us on. It says, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles us and let us run with perseverance the race that's been marked out for us. Okay, so imagine that. Imagine this grandstand in heaven of all these great people cheering you on. Imagine that. And, and there's a reason why I think God puts it to us like this is because, uh, you know, that works, right? Like if you've ever been a part of a sports team or any kind of a, a situation where you've had like people cheering for you, it, it really does work, doesn't it? Like you, you'll dig a little bit deeper when people are cheering you on. You can push a little bit further and, and, and run a little bit faster when you know that there's a group of people that are there to, to cheer you on in what you're doing. And that's what God wants us to see here. There's, there's this group of people cheering us on. Now, but here's the problem with that. While you can hear the great crowd that's cheering for you, the problem is sometimes we can't hear the individual voices. So here's what I kind of, so I was thinking about this this week. This is what I'd like to do. What if we could actually like reach into those grandstands and pull somebody out and they could stand here today and share with you specifically what you need to do to run the race in a way to win? Like what if we could pull Samson up on the stage today and what if he could share with you, hey, here's where I went wrong. Here's what I did right. Here's, here's what you can learn from my life. That's kind of what I want to do today as we look at this story of Samson, all right? So to start off, Judges chapter 13, I had you turn there. The story starts off 
with a, a woman who can't have any children. Judges chapter 13, verse 2 says this, a certain man of Zorah named Manoah from the clan of the Danites had a wife who was childless and able to give birth. The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, now when the Bible in the Old Testament talks about the angel of the Lord, that's talking about pre-incarnate Jesus. So this is actually Jesus saying this to this woman. He said, you are barren and childless, but you are going to become pregnant and give birth to a son. That's, that's what God does. He calls those things that be not as though they are. Now see to it that you do not drink wine or any other fermented drink and that you do not eat anything unclean. Verse five, you will become pregnant and have a son whose head is never to be touched by a razor because, now check this out, this boy is to be a Nazarite. I'll, I'll explain what that means a little bit more here in just a second. But look at this next part. Dedicated to God from the womb. Dedicated to God. Set apart for a purpose starting right now in the womb as you conceive him. He will take the lead in delivering, the, in delivering Israel from the hands of of the Philistine, okay? And so like the angel of the Lord, like Jesus says, nine months later, she has a baby, and this baby is Samson. And Samson has a purpose. He's got a calling on his life. His calling is to deliver the Israelite people from the hand of the Philistines. The Philistines are their enemy, and he wants to, he's gonna play a part in helping them in this. And, and notice what it says. It says that the boy is to be a Nazarite. Now, if you want to study this for yourself, if you go to Numbers chapter 6, you can actually read what it meant to be a Nazarite. But, but here's what it meant. A lot of people just think it meant he couldn't cut his hair, but it was actually much more than that. The, the, the calling on his life was actually that he could never eat anything from the grapevine. So he couldn't have grapes. He couldn't have raisins. He couldn't have wine. He couldn't have grape juice. He couldn't have any fermented drink. And he was supposed to not eat anything unclean. So he had to eat proper food. And he couldn't touch or be around anything unclean. He couldn't even be around a dead body. That would cause him to be unclean. Plus, he could never shave his head. And he's called to this from the womb. So notice that Jesus says to this woman, the angel of the Lord says, okay, it starts now. You don't do this stuff. This is the calling on his life. Not just don't cut your hair. It's live according to a different standard of living than the rest of the world around you. Okay, so, so check this out. There's a moment in Samson's life where he's a little kid and his mom sits him down and she begins to explain the calling on his life. And I imagine it went kind of something like this. Samson, I want you to know that your mama wanted a baby and I couldn't have a baby. But God gave me your life, and your life is a gift. I didn't deserve it, you don't deserve it, but God's called you to a purpose. He's given you this life, and with this life comes a purpose, a calling, an assignment, and in order for you to fulfill that assignment, you gotta live a set-apart life. God's called you to live different than the world around you. And I believe if Samson was here today, standing on this stage, he would echo the sentiments that his mother at one point spoke to him, and he would say, listen, the life that you have in Jesus Christ, you don't deserve. It's a gift from God. And with that calling, with that gift is a calling. A calling to do something significant, to make a difference. Not to just go to heaven, but to make an impact and a difference in this world. You have an assignment. And in order for you to fulfill this assignment, you can't live like everybody else. You've got to live at a different level. Listen, the, the Nazarite... Like that whole thing, that's not something that we're called to live in. But I want you to understand, 
being set apart, that is something that still exists in this world today. In fact, the Bible says this. It talks about the blood of Jesus, how the blood of Jesus has sanctified us. You guys ever heard of that before? You've been sanctified by the blood of Jesus Christ. You know what sanctified means? It means set apart for a spiritual purpose. God has called you to a spiritual purpose. He's called you to do something of significance. And and here's how it works. Your obedience to walk in the ways of the Lord is going to affect your ability to walk in the power of God for your assignment. Your obedience, take a note, write this down. I'll leave it up there for a minute for you so you can get it. Your obedience to walk in the ways of the Lord affects your ability to walk in the power of God for your purpose. Samson had incredible power, didn't he? But you know what? His power was not in his muscles. In fact, I don't even believe Samson had big muscles. If you study the life of Samson, what you're going to find is before it would talk about him doing these incredible feats that kind of move him beyond the natural ability of a normal human man, it would make a statement in the Bible that would say the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. Look at this with me, Judges 14, 6. The spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him so that he tore the lion apart with his bare hands. Verse 19, then the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. He went down to Ashkelon and struck down 30 of their men. Judges 15, 14, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him, finding a fresh jawbone of a donkey. He grabbed it and struck down a thousand men. Samson had this incredible power because the spirit of the Lord would come upon him in power. Now, I believe if Samson was here today, he would stand up here and he would look at you and he would say, hey, God has an assignment for you. He's got a purpose for you. And in order for you to walk in the purpose that God has for your life, you need the spirit of the Lord to come powerfully upon you. Now, when the Bible talks about the spirit of the Lord coming powerfully upon you, the the word spirit is is the Hebrew word roach. And you got to say it with kind of that like hawk and a loogie sound in the back of your throat. Roach. Everybody say roach. Good job, everybody. Okay, so rawak means this. It means the breath or the air of God. In the New Testament, there's another word for spirit that means the breath or the air of God, and that is pneuma. And pneuma is used by Jesus when he talks about the helper of the Holy Spirit and the role that that he plays in our life to help us to do what God's called us to do. Jesus said it like this in Matthew 28, verse 19. When he's talking to his disciples and he's sending them out for their assignment, he says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Spirit there is pneuma. So Jesus is saying, you're going to go out and you're going to do this work of helping people come to know me. But in order for you to do it, you're going to need the power of the Spirit of God with you, the breath of God, the air of God at work in your life. And and really what he's saying is the same power that was at work in the life of Samson can be at work in you. Now listen, just so you know, you're not going to get baptized in the Holy Spirit and all of a sudden you can go rip a lion in half, okay? Just so you know, that's not going to work. That's not your assignment. That was Samson's assignment. Samson has a physical assignment. His assignment was to, to deal with the Philistine people and fight them. And so the Holy Spirit in power worked in him in a physical way. But listen, you're, not, you're in the New Testament church, and our battle is not against flesh and blood. We have a spiritual battle, and so the power of God works in our life in spiritual ways. 
And when we invite the Holy Spirit and, and lean into the Holy Spirit's work in our life, he gives us power to fulfill the assignment. Isn't that good? God doesn't just say, hey, just go out there and see if you can do this. And this is what I want you to do and do it in your own power. No, no. He gives you gifts and help to do it. In fact, in 1 Corinthians, it talks about spiritual gifts. That word spiritual, when it talks about spiritual gifts, is pneumaticos. It comes from the root word pneuma. But it means these are tools of power from the breath of God. Kind of like you've ever heard of a pneumatic tool before, like a pneumatic drill or a pneumatic hammer or stuff like that. That's a tool, a power tool that's powered by air, right? So God wants to give you power to fulfill the assignment he's called you to. He wants you to walk in the spirit. And here's the great thing. What you have is actually better than Samson. Samson only had the spirit of God working in one area of his life. But you have all these tools because you have the Holy Spirit who has all the tools available to you. It's kind of like this. Like I've, uh, at this point, I've remodeled three houses since me and Sarah have gotten married. We bought houses that were fixer-uppers, and I worked on them and fixed them up. And uh, it's taken a lot of work. And listen, it's taken a lot of tools to get the job done. I can't do all the work with just a hammer. I can't hang drywall with just a hammer and, and mud the drywall with a hammer. I can't do that. You need a lot of different tools. And in the same way, listen, God has called us to remodel this world into the image of Jesus Christ. I'm preaching good this morning. Now, I learned something from my dad last night. If you're preaching good and no one's amening you, you can amen yourself. Like my dad was just encouraging himself last week. So I'll encourage myself if you won't do it. There you go. Amen to me. All right. But we need a lot of tools, don't we? And God... And God's called us to this incredible assignment of remodeling this world into the image of Jesus Christ. And we can't do that on our own. And we need a lot of things that work in us and through us. And so what the Holy Spirit wants to do is empower you. The breath and the air of God wants to work through you to help impact and change this world. But here's the thing. We have an incredible assignment. We have the tools that can help us to do that. But, but one of the key factors to this What's critical to you being actually able to do this is your obedience to walk in the ways of the Lord. I said it earlier, your obedience to walk in the ways of the Lord affects your ability to walk in the power of God for your assignment. And I believe if Samson was here today, he would make this statement to you. He would say this, because this is what he saw in his life. You can either choose to chase your cravings or you can chase your calling, but you cannot chase both. And if you chase your cravings, it will be the death of your calling. But if you'll chase your calling, it can be the death of your cravings. God wants to help you, but, but there's some stuff in this world. We, we're called to live a set apart life. We can't live like everybody else. We can't live in darkness and expect to be light. There's some things that we have to change. And one of the things that we see in Samson, he was living in a lot of darkness. And you know, one of the things that concerns me about the church, not this church, because as long as I'm the pastor of this church, we ain't gonna let this happen. But a lot of churches are powerless. They're not seeing people get healed. We're not seeing people get set free. We're not seeing, you're not in worship and you sense the presence of God like you did here this morning. Because we've, we've, We've settled for a form of powerless Christianity where we're just, we're, and here's what we're settling for. We're settling for our cravings over a good calling of God. We want to live our way and yet God bless it. And let me just tell you, it don't work that way. 
We can't stiff arm the Holy Spirit and then expect his help in our life whenever we want it. It doesn't work that way. And that's what Samson did. In fact, go to Judges chapter 16. I'll show you the fall of Samson. And look at this first verse as we jump into this. Judges 16, verse 1. One day Samson went to Gaza, Philistine city, where he saw a prostitute. He went in to spend the night with her. That's not the memory verse in the three-year-old class today, just so you know. <laughs> the power verse. <laughs> Say this with me, kids. <laughs> no, we don't. But that's Samson. Like, understand, like, Samson had this call to be a Nazarite. He was called to live at a standard unlike even the normal Israelite people. But at this point in his life, he's not even living like a good Israelite. He's living amongst the Philistines, having sex with Philistine prostitutes. A few verses after this, we are introduced to this character named Delilah. And you don't really know for sure if she's the prostitute here. Uh, theologians kind of go back and forth on that. But I do know this. She's a picture of sin. And specifically, now this may rough, ruffle some feathers, but she's a picture of the sin that we like that we're comfortable with, that we've come to enjoy and love and participate in on a regular basis. That's, that's who Delilah is. It says in verse 4, he fell in love with her. Some of you didn't mean to, but there's some sin that you've fallen in love with, and it's got its hooks in you. I've been there before, and it's not good, and it'll lead you down a path of destruction. But he falls in love with her. He's hooked on her. In fact, so much so that the Philistines see it. And realize the Philistines are a picture of the enemy of your life. They're a picture of Satan. Satan sees this sin that's got its hooks in you. And he sees that it can be your downfall. So the Philistines come to Delilah and they say, Hey, we see that you've got your hooks in this guy. He loves you. And he, we, we think that maybe we can use you to bring him down. To pull his strength from him. Or discover what's the, what's the, what's the secret so these five Philistine leaders say, we'll each give you 1,100 gold, or silver shekels, which is 5,500 silver shekels, equivalent to just under $14 million. And you say, man, that's an extravagant amount to pay. Yeah, because realize this, Samson was an extravagant uh, problem to his enemies. And I want you to know this morning that to, to Satan, you are an extravagant problem when you're walking in your assignment. And so he will pay a great price and do whatever he can to get sin in your life to pull your power from you so you cannot walk in the fulfillment of your assignment. Amen? Amen. So they come to her and they say, hey, will you do this? And what Samson didn't know is he didn't know that she was a gold digger or a silver digger. <laughs> and so this, we start this little bit back and forth between them where she's trying to figure out what his strength is. And she comes to him and she makes this statement, which Sarah told me just the other day, tell me the secret of your great strength and how you can be tied up and subdued. <laughs> Fairly normal, everyday marriage conversation for us. No, right? Like that's not normal. Like what's the key to making you not as powerful and doing like, but 
And, 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 and I'll show you as we read this, like you can't help but read this stuff and you're going, what is wrong with Samson? Like, how can he be so stupid? You know how? Sin makes you stupid. Sin makes you stupid. It deceives you. Samson is deceived. Sin's got its hook in him. And he's deceived and he's stupid. And so she tries to, to get him to tell him the secret and he doesn't at first. He, he tricks her, lies to her, and she tries it and it doesn't work. And so she comes back again and she asks him for the secret and she tries something else. And every time, if you study it, every time he gets a little bit closer to letting her know the truth. And then finally she comes to him in verse 15 after she's tried three times and she's really laying it on him. Then she said to him, how can you say I love you? She's really laying on the guilt with him here. When you won't confide in me, this is the third time you've made a fool of me and haven't told me the secret of your great strength. Like for real. You're making me look so stupid in front of all these people as I try to bring you down. Sin makes you stupid, doesn't it? Verse 16, with such nagging, she prodded him. Sin's nagging. It prods you. It keeps coming back day after day until he was sick to death of it. Verse 17, so he told her everything. He does the unthinkable. No razor has ever been used on my head because I have been a Nazarite dedicated to God from my mother's womb. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave and I would become as weak as any other man. And, and I, I don't know, I would read this and I would always think, how could he be so stupid? Like, how would he, everything, every time he's told her, she tried it the next day. Like, doesn't he know she's gonna try this? Yes, he knows she's gonna try it. But he doesn't believe that to be true anymore. You know why? Because he's been breaking his Nazarite vow left and right. We read this, and if you think that his Nazarite vow was just shave your head, then it sounds like he made one mistake and everything went away. But listen, what was his Nazarite vow? Don't eat anything from the grapevine. Don't drink wine. And yet in the story, you read about him being in Timnah, which is a valley famous for its grape groves and wine. We read about him being at a Philistine party, which theologians will tell you is basically a drunken orgy. We read about him uh, killing the lion. Remember that? And then he comes back to that lion, which is a dead animal, now unclean, and he pulls honey from from it and eats of that honey, both things making him unclean. We even hear about him taking up the fresh jawbone of a donkey, touching a dead animal, again, making him unclean. Listen, at this point in his life, this thing of shaving his head is the only part of his Nazarite vow he has not broken. And so what he believes at this point is it doesn't matter. He believes two lies. One, doesn't matter how I live. And I believe the other thing he believed that was a lie is my power is my power. This is not from God. This is me. I can do whatever I want to do. And why do I believe that? Because look at what it says next. Verse 19, after he tells her this, Delilah lulled Samson to sleep. That's what sin does. He's sleeping. He's not worried. He knows she's going to do this. He's not concerned at all. With his head in her lap, he's crawled up in the lap of sin, comfortably sitting there. And then she called in a man to shave off the seven locks of his hair. And this way she began to bring him down and his strength left him. What left him? The spirit of God. Then she cried out, Samson, the Philistines have come to capture you. When he woke up, he thought, 
I will do as before and shake myself free. I'll just do what I always do. Always works in the past. But he didn't realize the Lord or the spirit of the Lord had left him. So the Philistines captured him and gouged out his eyes. So he's blind. They took him to Gaza where he was bound with bronze chains and forced to grind grain in the prison. Now, as I was reading this story, the thing that stood out to me, I, I had a, with, with being off for three weeks of preaching, I had a little bit more time to spend in a story than I normally do. And I've read this over and over again. And the thing that stood out to me was the mercy of God. God showed so much mercy to Samson. He gave him so many opportunities to change. He allowed Samson to continue to walk in his power in his assignment, even when he wasn't fulfilling his end of the bargain. Why? Because God is, the Bible says, rich in mercy. The Bible says in Psalms 103, verse 8, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. That's the God we serve. I'm so grateful that God is merciful, aren't you? I need it. Ezekiel 32, or 33, verse 11 says this, as I live, this is God talking, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. God takes no pleasure in the wages of sin. He doesn't want that. But that the wicked turn from his way and live. God is rich in mercy and his mercy is available to you. But I think one of the dangers we can find ourselves in if we're not careful is we fall into a place where we come to believe that God's mercy is God's approval. God doesn't approve of sin ever because sin leads to death. And God doesn't approve of anything that leads to death in your life. Know that. But because God is rich in mercy, he'll give you chance after chance after chance. And listen, his mercy will always be available to you. But if you keep stiff-arming the Holy Spirit, his power won't. His anointing to walk in your calling won't be there. And you'll think one day like Samson, oh, I'll just do what I always did. But it won't be there anymore. It's a dangerous place. We find ourselves in, I, my anointing to be the husband won't be there anymore. My anointing to be a wife won't be there anymore. My anointing to lead my kids won't be there anymore. My anointing to be the boss I'm called to be won't be there anymore. My anointing to pastor a church won't be there anymore. If I keep pushing, stiff-arming the Holy Spirit as he tries to convict me and lead me to make the right decisions. It's a dangerous place. Ephesians 4.30 says this. It says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Now think about grief for a minute. When we grieve... Typically, when we talk about grief, we're talking about when someone has passed away, right? And why, why do we grieve? We grieve because we've lost a connection with somebody. We can't be with them like we once were. The relationship gets, gets broken or gets separated. And the Bible says that the Holy Spirit, who is a person, he's not a thing, the Holy Spirit can grieve. And, and what grieves him, if you read, I, I encourage you to do this. Read Ephesians 4 this week, verse 30, and read the verses that come before it and after it. All of them talk about sin. What grieves the Holy Spirit is sin. Why? Because when you sin, when you continue to walk in sin that you know is wrong, and you stiff arm the Holy Spirit, the further you push, the further he goes. You, you can't, we're called to live a set-apart life. You can't just live any way you want and expect God to keep showing up and blessing you. Yes, God is rich in mercy, but how you live matters. And if you're going to fulfill the assignment God's called you to, you have to pay attention to the way you're living your life. Listen, God has called us to live a set-apart life. And I want to say that. Understand, we're set apart from the world in this way. We're set apart from 
the sin and some of the works of the world that are, that are not godly. But we're not set apart from the world. We're actually set apart for the world. We have to set apart our life so that we can be the light God's called us to be. Because if we're filling ourselves up with darkness, we can't bring light into the darkness. You guys tracking with me? So we're called to live a set apart life for the world. And your obedience to, to what God is asking you to do, the ways of the world, is going to affect your ability to walk in the power of God for your assignment. I believe if Samson was here today, he would say, hey, God, your life is a gift. And God wants to empower you for this assignment. He's got gifts for you, but you, you need to pay attention to how you live. And maybe you're here today and you would say, man, I've, I've blown it. Maybe you're a Christian and you've, you've blown it in some areas of your life. You've made some mistakes. Maybe you're not a Christian and you can look at your life and you say, man, I've, I, I recognize today I'm, I'm living. I, I, I just sense today the Holy Spirit saying I'm blind and I'm bound and I got to get some of this figured out. Well, the good news for you today is God can still use you if you'll turn. How do I know this? I look at the life of Samson. See, Samson ended up in Hebrews 11. Remember I told you that? He ends up in Hebrews 11. How did he end up there? He ended up there because of what he did at the end of his life. Because God is rich in mercy. He gave him another chance. And so here's Samson. He's blind. He's bound. The Philistines have him captured. And they throw this big party. And this party's all about just celebrating that their gods are greater than the God of Israel. So they got this big party going down. They bring out Samson. They're mocking him. They're making fun of him. They're doing all sorts of horrible, horrific, ungodly things. And in that moment, as Samson's in the middle of that, he calls out to God and he prays. And, and this is, realize, this is why he's in Hebrews 11, because for the first time in his life, he's actually walking in faith. And he invites God to move in power in his life once again. And, and the Bible says that this child leads him over. He has a child lead him over, which there's a whole other thing there I'm not going to get into. But a child leads him over to these pillars. He puts his hand on those pillars, and he begins to push. Now realize, in, in, the, in all of his life, it's always just worked. But here, he's walking in faith. He doesn't know. He could push, and nothing happens. And those people are just going to laugh at him and mock him. And, but he begins to push. And once again, the Spirit of God powerfully upon him. And as he pushes, the power of God moves through him. And the Bible says that he kills more Philistines in his death than he did at any point in his life. I believe this is for somebody this week. As I was studying this message, I just, God kind of laid this on my heart. Some of you've made mistakes and you look at your mistakes and you feel like those mistakes define you. I believe God is saying to you today that he wants to refine you through your mistakes so that he can use you for a greater purpose. If you'll turn from that and walk in faith in the assignment he's called you to. God is good. And I'm telling you, if you'll chase your calling over your cravings, if you'll be a person that will starve yourself of the distractions and focus on your purpose, man, God can use you and do something amazing through you. You look at Samson, he was unstoppable when he was walking in his assignment with the power of God working through him and the same power that was in him can rest in your life and even greater measure. Would you bow your head and close your eyes this morning? What's the Holy Spirit saying to you today in this message? 
I think the tendency sometimes with a message like this, where we're kind of talking about sin, and I hope it, I hope you don't feel this way, is we kind of feel a little bit of, if we're not careful, feel bad for some of the things that we've done in the past. I hope you don't feel that way. I hope today that you feel excited because God's calling you to something greater. As I was preparing this message this week, I just couldn't help but think of all of the people in here that are living at a level below where God wants you to live. You're not fully experiencing what God wants you to experience because you've settled. You've settled for some of your cravings. You've settled for comfort instead of chasing after your calling and walking in faith like God's called you to. And you've, you've settled for, for some of the sin of your life. You've gotten comfortable with sin. You, you didn't mean to, but you got into some stuff. Maybe it happened when you were young. I don't know, but you got into some stuff and, and you tend to find comfort in it. And so you crawl back in the lap of that sin from time to time. I'm telling you, God is here to free you today. God had me preach on the message about power because he wants his power to break the stronghold of sin, to be at work in your life today, if you'll believe for it. So if you're here today, I'm going to invite our altar ministry team to come down at this time. If you're here today and you say, man, I, 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 need, I need prayer. And it could be for a number of reasons. One, it could be that you're maybe... Maybe you just need to give your life to Jesus Christ today. Maybe you've never surrendered your life to Jesus. Or maybe you have, but you know you're not living where you should be. You know that, that you're, you don't know how close you are with God right now. You're not really sure. You want to know that you're right with God. We'd love to pray with you this morning. Maybe you're here today and you're struggling with a sin. There's something that, again, you didn't mean to, but you got caught up in something. And, and, and you need help. You need to break that stronghold today. We want to we pray for you. We want to help you find freedom from that. You're living a life blind and bound, and God wants to set you free and redeem you. Maybe you're here today, and you're dealing with sickness in your body. You're bound by sickness. You're blinded by that sickness. You see the whole world through the lens of that sickness. God wants to free you from that today. Wherever you find yourself today, Jesus Christ, listen, the hero of the Bible, the superhero of the Bible is Jesus Christ. All of these other characters through the Old Testament, they couldn't do what Jesus did. He came and did what no one else could do. He's the greatest superhero of all time and he wants his power and, his, and the work of the cross to be at work in your life today. So if you're here today and you need prayer, we would love to pray for you today. If it matters to you, matters to God. So I'm going to invite you to stand up with me, church. Would you stand with me this morning? We're going to go back into a song of worship. And as we do, our altars are open at any time, even now, if you want to come down and pray with one of our leaders, we'd love to pray with you. If you're, you're struggling in an area of your life, you got a sin, you got a, an, a mind battle, anything's going on, listen, don't leave today like you came in. If you came in with a problem, if you came in bound by anything, if you came in blinded by anything, don't leave that way. Leave free this morning. Amen? Lord Jesus, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for being the hero of the Bible, for doing what no one else could do, for giving us a life that's greater than anything we can imagine. And Lord, we say today that we love you. And I pray this morning that if there's anyone in here today that needs prayer for anything, that you would draw them right now to step out in faith, to receive what you have for them. In Jesus' name.